Hello, welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyce. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Hey, Pat. How's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Just sitting here on a beautiful day in Austin, Texas. Um, thinking about a movie I watched last night. <laughs> I watched, uh, me and my girlfriend, Sydney, watched like a newer Nicolas Cage movie, um, which I... Probably don't do, but it was good. What's it called? It's called Jujitsu. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Does he do jujitsu in it? Kind of. A little bit. There's a <laughs> lot of jujitsu. Very little of it having to do with Nicolas Cage. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. Yeah, it's definitely like he's he's realized that there's like a younger star that like does the jujitsuing. Um, fair enough. He, yeah, he just kind of shows up. It's definitely one of his like, hey, sign my checks so I can pay my taxes. I'm going to get the fuck out of here kind of rolls, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I just, uh, I don't know if anybody's. So I want to get the online discourse started about uh, the smash hit jujitsu of 2020. <laughs> um, no, it was just funny. I was just watching it like, I don't know. There's so much fun stuff out there on Amazon Amazon to watch. And um, that's one of them. Uh, but uh, the notable notable uh, appearances. Let's see. We had um, that dude from My Name is Earl, Crabman. Hey, Crabman. Hey, Earl. That guy. Not ringing any bells, but I'm sure our okay. listeners know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was in it. He's tight. But uh, yeah, yeah. Other than that, that's uh, that's all I did. I had the last two days off, and I just kind of watched nice. dumb stuff on TV and, uh, you know, kicked it and hung out. How about you? Um, I'm good. I was just up at my parents' house for a while uh, visiting family, which was nice because, like, everybody's vaccinated now. So I got to, like, hug my grandma Aww. and, you know, do all that stuff. So... That was fun. Um, I got back to New York yesterday, and uh, it's hot as balls in my room. It is so hot. And, oh, man. Uh, it was like, because, you know, I, I wasn't here at all, so, like, there was no AC for a week, and it was, yeah. like, 90 degrees all week. And, uh, yeah, man, it's an oven in here, it turns out. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, yeah, the heat is back, man. And, like, in Texas, like, and it, it's just May, so it's going to get worse. But, like, that, like, that, just that inescape, that, in, that unmistakable texas heat that just smacks you in the face like yeah, yeah. when you go outside it's like yeah. assaultive that you somehow and, uh, forget about every year like like every time it hits me i'm always like oh like how do how did i forget how is this new <laughs> it's, the thing that like ruined it for me like because i knew it was going to be hot when i moved there but i didn't realize that it would stay hot day and night like yeah in new england when the sun goes down it gets a little cooler yeah. in austin it it's like 102 degrees at three in the morning like there's yeah, yeah. no break <laughs> it's just always it's hot Man, yeah. yeah and i was out circling the midwest in the in the in the spring feeling like an idiot because i was like oh i went last year in february it's april this year it'll be warm like because i'm an idiot nope. i just was like oh yeah the midwest it's warm in april and it was cold i got back and i was just like i was not ready like, like i think i just experienced so much more cold weather than i normally do because we had that wildly cold february and um you know, and then we had the, uh, I had my months traveling. So yeah, I am not ready for it. They were also, they were retarring my girlfriend's apartment's parking lot today. I sat at her place last night and I woke up and like walked out. It was hot and it just smelled like, like melting asphalt. Cause yep. it was melting asphalt. <laughs> yeah, man. Gross. People shouldn't yeah. live there. It's inhospitable to human life. Yeah. <laughs> it is an affront to the, uh, it is an affront to, it's a testament to man's arrogance, uh, exactly. <laughs> for sure. But, um, speaking of, uh, Another testament to man's arrogance, art, right? Am I right? It just thinks sure. it's so swift. 
<laughs> no, I was gonna roll this out of the uh, the Nicolas Cage thing. I was like, you know, speaking of uh, speaking of another uh, of of an unappreciated uh, work of art uh, going unappreciated or being Absolutely. treated wrongly. I don't know. <laughs> Not Just getting cu- its due. Cutting ties with this altogether. Uh, I I watched. Uh, I, I was watching a lot of TV recently, and I stumbled across this case um, about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. And I was like, man, I sat there and watched the first couple episodes, and I was like, we did this already. Like we've done this episode. And then I started thinking. I was like, I don't think we have. So I went back and looked, and as far as I can tell, we haven't done it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't believe we've done. It. I feel like I would have remembered it because I've I've actually been to this museum quite a bit. So I oh, feel like it, I it looks it. cool as hell. It's really neat, yeah. Uh, we we can get into it when we talk about yeah. it. But yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a really cool place, honestly. Yeah. So, well, guys, what we're talking about, of course, if you've watched the Netflix documentary, uh, this is a robbery. I'm of course talking about the St. Patrick's Day heist of the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Uh, really if fascinating. If you're gonna stuff. do a crime in Boston, do it on St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day for that real. Yeah. The best day to do a crime there. All the cops are drunk. It's yeah. The best. I went to one. I went to a couple. When I lived in Hartford, I went to a couple of New England, uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day parades in Hartford. But I remember the one that was funnest was my friend Brian came to visit from Texas, and he flew in on St. Patrick's Day, and we picked him up at the airport, and we drove downtown, and we man, we were awake for like two days, <laughs> like, <we were> just, <laughs> yeah, just drinking and wild. That was so much fun. Yeah. So if you're gonna do anything, yeah, in, in Boston, St. Patty's is the day to do it. Right. And, uh, Nobody will be paying attention. It's a good day. Yeah. To, it's a good day to do, commit some some felonies. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. We're gonna find that out. This was the best day to commit some felonies because, uh, yeah, it it that and everything else just has worked out for these people. So, gonna dive right into it. Of course, uh, this takes place St. Patrick's Day, nineteen ninety, Boston, Massachusetts. Which I don't know. Like I know all St. Patrick's Day parades are wild, but somebody's like a nineties St. Patty's Day in Boston. That just seems like. The peak, man. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. That's like, I mean, the whole city is a Dropkick Murphys concert. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just like a, like a, uh, a Baltimore cop's funeral just for like. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Uh, now, at the time, the museum guard, Rich Abbott, was working over the overnight shift with his fellow guard, Randy Heston. So Rick and Randy, Rich and Randy doing it big. So, Rich was a regular night watchman, however, uh, this was Randy's first shift as he was filling in for another guard who had called out that night. So, the night shift at the Gardner Museum consisted of two guards. One guard would go on rounds while the other manned the security desk, and after each round was completed, the two would switch. So, meanwhile, outside the, at the museum, the city of Boston is fully enthralled in the goings-on of St. Patrick's Day. Sure. Uh, you had a group of students outside the museum. I, I remember like looking at the documentary, looking it up, they were from the Boston Latin School which mm-hmm. just seems like a nerd college that I'm sure that they, that when they cut loose, they have fun. <laughs> so <laughs> they're like a they're like a prep school. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I don't know if they're college students or otherwise, but they were drunk, so <laughs> I know that. I I think it's a high school, but that still I, sounds right for. Yeah, I, I, I looked it up. And that's that's the vibe that I got. So I was expecting college, and I was like, I was like, well, they were drinking, and then I, I looked it up. I was like, oh, well, they were going to a party. So yeah, that's more high school stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, these so basically these kids are outside of the museum. And they're getting ready to go to a party nearby, and at one of the points, the one of the the, the girls asks her friend to give her a piggyback ride to the end of the street. Okay, yeah, they're in high school. <laughs> <laughs> So he starts walking her up, the, uh, you know, on the piggyback road, on the piggyback ride, down this uh, stretch of road right next to the museum. 
And as they're going, they look over and they, so they notice a bunch of parked cars. And they notice that one of the small sedans is actually filled with two uniformed policemen in there smoking a cigarette. So what they see is they see, oh, two policemen smoking cigs in an unmarked car. These guys are getting ready to raid the party we're going to. So, right. Oh, no. We're high schoolers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they're just like, all right, fuck this. So if... And it seems like they played it right. They just kept walking on their piggyback ride just down the Play street. Play it cool, just yep. <laughs> Bail. Yeah, yeah. This is this is how I normally travel. This is nothing nothing odd, odd going on here. <laughs> I always have a woman on my back leaving a party. <laughs> so the pair took this as a sign, like I said, the party is going to get broken up. So they 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 did. So at 1 o'clock a.m., we're back inside the museum. Uh, the guard, Rich Abbott, was returning to the security desk to switch off with his uh, partner, Randy Heston. Now, shortly before returning to the desk, Abbott made a quick stop by the side entrance of the museum where he opened the door for a moment before shutting it again. And now, a lot of this, a lot of um, attention is paid to this uh, as, as, the time, as uh, the investigation goes further. And they're like, why could this guy have popped out of the door for one second? What was he doing? This guy wears a fanny pack and sandals is in a reggae jam band. I know what he was doing outside that door. Like, yeah, that absolutely. Dude was, that dude was popping out and smoking, like, like hitting the one hitter real fast before he sat down for the hour while Homeboy went on the rounds. Like, that's my theory. <laughs> uh, yeah. But so he, he finally, he makes it back in. He opens the door. He, he shuts it. He comes back in. He sits down next to his partner. Didn't tell his partner why he did that or, or you know, or that he was going to do it in the first place. And right, because so, he's not going to be like, I'm going to go – yeah. Hit my little binger real quick. Yeah, I'll yeah, be right yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to do that. I'm going to get real dinged up, bro. I'll see you in a second. <laughs> <laughs> so once back at the desk, Abbott settled in and Heston sat out on his rounds. Set out on his rounds. Now, at 1.20 a.m., the small sedan that was driven by the two uniformed police officers pulled up to the side entrance, parked, exited the vehicle, and walked up to the side door. They raided the buzzer, and when Abbott answered, they explained that they were there to investigate a disturbance and needed to be buzzed in. Now, Abbott could see them on the security monitor. He saw they were cops, but he hadn't been aware that there was a disturbance. But given the day and the time, and you know, it was uh, St. Patrick's Day in Boston, he's like, maybe somebody climbed over the wall or was wilding out, right. somebody reported them. Might as well check it out. Yeah, so he says, yeah, yeah, sure thing. He lets them both in at, at 1.24 a.m. So once inside, the men approached Abbott at the desk and asked if anyone else was in the museum. When he said yes, they told him to radio the other guard and get him down there. Now, at this time, Abbott noticed that the mustache on the taller on the taller cop appeared to be fake, and that that's a funny thing. Like, ah, oh, the cop's a fake mustache. But honestly, think about that. Like, what has to go? Like, like if you start putting the pieces together, and you notice the cop that's dealing with you has a fake mustache, you're just like, oh shit. That's, oh, you know, like, no. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like your pizza delivery guy is a fake mustache. Like that's a guy, right. this is a dude with a gun who you've probably let in some boundary that you normally would have let anybody else into. And yeah. It's not, it's probably not someone playing like a funny prank on yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, this is like real, real biz. You're like, oh shit. And this dude, Abbott, like, we'll find out more about him, but he was uh, in a jet reggae jam band. He lived in a party house a couple blocks down. He was 23. Uh, he seemed like a, you know, a fun dude uh, by all accounts. Uh, yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, also part of his alibi uh, or like his, uh, his alibi about like uh, the days leading up to or the days preceding the robbery uh, involved him going to a Grateful Dead Heart concert in Hartford for two nights. And uh, he's like, yeah, then the first night we did shrooms. It wasn't shrooms the second night. We did acid. Either way, we did shrooms one night, acid one night. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. Yeah, of course so, he was going out to smoke his little one. Yeah, yeah, it's of crazy that this that's even has to be unsaid. But yeah. I guess if he's admitting to all of that other stuff, he might as well have admitted. He might as well admit to that, yeah. Job, he, he, couldn't, know, he couldn't clarify why he did 
great. Um, but yeah. but then again, he says that uh, years later in an interview uh, at the I time. I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. At the time, he might have been like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I don't want to say anything." But uh, also, he's. But I say all that to say that like he seems pretty hip to the street. You know, what I'm saying like he knows what's up. So he sees the fake mustache, and then immediately the cop goes, "Hey, I look. You look familiar. Don't you got a warrant out?" He asks Abbott, and he ordered Abbott to come out from behind the desk and provide him an identification. Now. Once Abbott came out from behind the desk, he's now separated from the panic button and thusly his mm. only way to contact the real police. Yeah. So Abbott was handcuffed, and as he noticed, he was not frisked. So it's, again, another thing like, oh, shit, these guys aren't real cop. Fake mustache. They're, they're doing everything wrong. Right. And then, and so at this also, point. Also, I feel like it's really rare for a cop to recognize someone by sight for a warrant in a major city. Yeah, there are probably a lot of like, people yeah, with warrants out. I, I one time was in a car smoking weed and got pulled out, uh, and we were handcuffed and put on the side of the curb, and it all started because uh, a guy in our town named Jay, who who everybody knew was a fuck-up, had a bunch of warrants out, and my friend Doug was just a shaved-head white dude sitting in the back of this car smoking weed, and the cops were, like, talking to us, and they looked at the back of Doug's head, and they were like, Jay? Jay, get off the car, Jay. <laughs> and it was like, in the next 30 minutes, we're spent convincing them that this was not Jay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no I mean we know him too he yeah, yeah, could have yeah, easily been in this car but that's not Jay <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah so uh, now one side like they, they had told him to call the other guard down there Heston so Heston comes back from his rounds and he walks in they handcuff him and after both of the cops are subdued the shorter cop announced their true intentions and they said very boisterously gentlemen this is a robbery which has to be again has to be terrifying you know like you just mean like you're in handcuffs like holy shit the way you said that though made me think about how fun it must be to say that. It's oh, like yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's like getting to say let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, or something. yeah, yeah, gentlemen, this is a robbery. Yeah, dude, yeah. They, they say that the guy said it very boisterously. They said he was just like like all giddy about it. <laughs> Congrats, folks. We have a robbery. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it seems like a fun thing to get to do. Yeah, he's like he just pulls out a piece of paper from behind the guy's ear and like shows it to him. He's like, this is a robbery. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So the guards were then led into the basement tunnels uh, beneath the museum where they were restrained and blindfolded with duct tape. Uh, the, the pictures they have like out there of the guy, Rich Abbott, bound in duct tape is one of the more unsettling guy bound in duct tape photos that I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, not going to not gonna look at that probably. Yeah, yeah, Don't yeah, want to yeah, have nightmares. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, there's – it looks like they got him taped up and then they were just like – did a few more whirls around his head for no reason. Mm, and it just, yeah, don't like that. Yeah, yeah, they had fun with it. It's very weird. But then they sat there and they told they looked at their identification. They took their wallets out, looked at their IDs. They said, we know who you guys are. Don't try to do anything. And they, said, they said, just sit tight, and in a year you'll get a reward is one of the things mm. they mentioned to them. Mm-hmm. And so they put them down there. Now, there's no motion detectors showing that anybody left any rooms for 13 minutes. Presumably, this was to for them to wait and see if the police had been dispatched. Now, okay. once once they felt comfortable that the pair, you know, that nobody was coming, the pair made their way to the gallery known as the Dutch Room, located on the second floor of the museum. Now, they more than likely at this point heard device beeping as they approached their first target. It was a device that alerted to a patron to when they were standing too close to the painting. So I guess this is pretty common around every painting. You get too close, mm-hmm. it starts beeping. They just immediately smashed that. <laughs> that kind of nice. that kind of was like the the like the starting pistol for the robbery. <laughs> Well, the the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is interesting because it's not really set up like a normal museum. It's um, it's sort of like you're in someone's house who collected a lot of art. So yeah. it's like things aren't behind glass or like very re- removed from you as a viewer. It feels like you're just going into a room that has a lot of like 
interesting stuff in it. And it's like the way the stuff is exhibited, it's not like, oh, here's the portraits, here's the, you know, ancient Greek, here's the this. Like it's it's all mixed together. So it's like it makes sense to me that they had things that told people they were getting too close because you could easily like it's one of those places where you're like Am I, do I sit in this as a guest of this museum or is this art? And I'm yeah, yeah. Like it's one of those places. Yeah, I man, I would be, I would just take an absent-minded plop in some fucking chair and just snap its <laughs> leg off. I'd be like, man, this art is great, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, they. Uh, I remember when I saw, I read about this years ago, uh, and like was like, oh, that's this is really interesting. And then I saw the, the special, and yeah, I was not thinking that that's what it looked like in there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a weird it's a it's a very unusual museum. It's really cool though. I recommend if you're gonna go to a museum in Boston, it might be my favorite one. It's it looks neat. sick. Yeah, it looks like a, a dope place to go. Like just like spend a couple hours, you know, get a little stone, just kind of. Like, it has walk this around. like big fountain in the middle, and it's all like open. It's like set up like a Mediterranean like palazzo. It's very cool. Yeah, it looks it's cool. We're, we're gonna get a, into a little bit more about like just like the background of it. It's like, but like yeah, it seems like a really fucking fun place. But, so yeah, they smashed it, they got to work. Now, with the guards subdued and no signs of police response, the thieves were able to take their time. Now, most robberies, like, if you look at these things, like, they last, like, you know, like a bank robbery, like, they last, like, a minute and a half. Like, people are right. in, they're out. It's very quick. Um, you, you'll hear people talking about how, you know, uh, like, robberies will be like, yeah, I, I felt like I was in there an hour, for an hour, and it was, you know, it, like, they're talking, like, nine, ten minutes in a robbery seems like four days. Like, it's just right. such a long time. These guys were in there for 81 minutes. Damn. That, that's a level of comfort that's just, they're just walking around at that point. Yeah, and, they're just having, they're just hanging out. That's, like, as long <clears throat> as you spend going to the museum as a patron. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they just took a trip. Yeah, yeah. Rocco and Christopher go to the museum. <laughs> they just, like, went out <laughs> for a night. <laughs> So the robbers uh, stole a very eclectic mix of pieces. Uh, a few of the works were extremely valuable, but the thieves strolled right past works that were far more valuable, seemingly unaware of their importance. Um, all in all, third, and also they 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 uh, stole the they stole the paintings in, in a very like time consuming manner. I guess most art thieves take the entire the entire painting off the wall. They take the frame and everything. Yep. that's yep. the way to do it. These guys were. And this was like a detail that was like particularly horrifying to the museum curators. They were just cutting the paintings out with knives. Oof, yeah. Yeah. I can it, see why that would uh, make them lose their minds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can see like the pain in their face. And they were talking about it. They were like, they, no, that makes no sense. Also, it's saying, also like hurts the value of the thing you're Hurts seeing. the value of the painting. Yes. Also, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, uh, they, they say that most of the paintings aren't just painted on one canvas the way you might think of it in your head. It's multiple canvases, very hard to cut through. They overlap yeah. in different directions. Also, a lot of these paintings were done in like a like a lacquer or like a veneer that mm-hmm. made it like, if you would have gone, you could just roll it up like a blueprint. It would have crumbled and cracked and right. just fucked the entire painting up. Which right, is so more it doesn't like, help you yeah. to cut it like that. Yeah, which is more than likely what happened. Like, so. Really, that's what they think happened is they they cut them out, rolled them up, and now they're destroyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah now they're, they're they're fucked. But we'll come to find out that there are several motivations for some for why someone would steal a painting, and most of the the sensible reasons for doing it aren't as cut and dry as why you would like steal you know money or something. It, it, it gets it gets mm-hmm. pretty detailed as to the motives of this type of crime. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah, most of the paintings they were cut out. Now. Uh, it was, they also said it was very time-consuming. That was one thing. These guys did a lot of weird shit. They stole, like, we'll go through, like, kind of, like, like the big pieces that they got. Mm-hmm. But, like, they stole, like, at one point there was a, uh, it's called a finial. It's a it's the topping to a flag. And it was a golden yep. eagle that was on a Napoleonic military flag. They said that would, like, 
this is, it's not even valuable. It, 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 it's plated gold. It's not solid gold. And you have to unscrew it. And it's not like an easy unscrewing job. They're like, that would take several minutes. But it's like, right. you know, you're, you're, you're literally within like, you just got to turn your body and reach your arm. And there's like a piece of art that's worth 10 times more money. And right. why are you focusing on this? Mm-hmm. Also, they, um, they took some paintings that they believe may have been mistaken for other paintings. There was a Monet that was taken that they think might have been mistaken for a Monet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the mistakes they made just kind of betrayed that they had no clue what they were doing or had no clue about what they were stealing more likely. Actually, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to steal, but as far as right. what they were stealing, they, they, you know, they lacked the finesse. Like they're like the way, the way that you're doing it is like negating all the work you're putting into it. Right. Yeah. 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 So it seems like they probably were, um, uh, some kind of outfit of, of thieves, of burglars that maybe didn't specialize in art and were yeah. tasked to do this or like shooting the moon and just... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they definitely got a couple pieces that they think were, were just like, hey, look at that, that looks cool. Like one of them being a 13th, <laughs> a 13th, uh, 13th century Chinese uh, vase uh, that they believe was, uh, you know, that, that they believe was stolen just because it looked tight. Sweet. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, the, yeah the, 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 the value is only like a thousand bucks like, on, on the thing. But they're but, like, oh, it had like sick dragons on it. Yeah, though, yeah, so That's yeah, probably yeah, why yeah, they took it. Dude, dude, I hope that got turned into a bong. <laughs> and <it> just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like some like uh, like mobster dude's burnout nephew just like is living in like the house above his garage and like found it and is smoking <laughs> weed out of it. I hope uh, so. Yeah. We can only hope. A, yeah, yeah, a real Christopher Moltisanti's buddy type, you know. <laughs> So Brandon Falone, R.I.P. That's yeah, 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 yeah. the wife beater guy from the first season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, finally, at 2:40 a.m., uh, records showed that the side entrance doors, the ones they had came through, were opened again at 2:40 a.m. and then once more for the last time at 2:45. So presumably, they took two trips out to the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, also just the, the 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 comfort level these guys had. Yeah, so, just taking their sweet time. Yeah, the subdued guards were discovered by the replacement shifts. Uh, their replacement shift later that morning. Police were notified, and when the dollar amount was finally tallied by the museum curators, it was determined that the thieves had made off with about two hundred million dollars worth of art. Uh, Damn! So even not knowing what they were doing, they did pretty well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they did. However, the majority of this value is taken up by two of the paintings, and they stole uh, thirteen okay. of them. So, okay, yeah, and they ruined them, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, so. yeah, they <laughs> fucked them up, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, the museum, uh, now, two, the $200 million, that was the 1990 price. It has, mm-hmm. uh, it, when it's been re-estimated uh, with, with inflation and what the, the pieces would be worth now, and it's, like, around $600 million. Wow. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Yeah, 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 closer to a billion than nine. That's insane. So, yeah. Uh, now, the museum addressed the press later that day, and within three days, the auction houses Sotheby's and Christie's had put together a reward of a million dollars. That reward now sits at $10 million because, spoiler alert, these have never been found. These are still out there, still at large. They got a few leads, but, you know, for the most part, uh, these guys did, and for as, un- as unknowledgeable as they were about art, they really knew how to steal shit because they made a clean break. Uh, yeah, even after being in there for that long, they still didn't leave enough evidence for people didn't leave to find enough. them. They, they, also, they knew enough to retrieve the VHS copy of the uh, of, of the security tape that night. So there's no there's there's footage of them arriving, I believe, on the outside tape. And then mm-hmm. they also there is a printer that uh, printed out um, 
the basically like the hard copy of the motion detector report. So it'd be ah. like, you know, one forty five AM movement this right. room, All this stuff about them it, leaving. It printed yeah. out. They they ripped that off uh, off the printer as well. Now this is nineteen ninety, they didn't know that there was a hard drive that had all sure. stuff on it too. But they, they knew enough to, to make you think like okay, they had to have known somebody you know, like in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum or on their, their security detail that had some kind of inside information. They can't prove it to this day, but it's like, I mean, maybe if they saw the the printer stuff printing up, they would have snatched it. But at the same time, the guards were downstairs far away from that. So unless they asked them about it beforehand and then put them under there, or if they're running down there and being like, hey, is there anything up there we should know about? And why would the guards be honest with them at that point, you know? So, right, and like the guards, and the guards have not said that this—that's what happened. Yeah, so, they, they didn't report that either. So, and these so guys, either like if they did do that, that and they're not saying it means they were probably in on it. So like, yeah, yeah somebody they either it seems like either they were very experienced uh, thieves that got lucky and found those things and knew what to do with them because they were experienced thieves. Or they had somebody on the inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, both both would make sense because try as they might, they really can't build a connection between anybody mm-hmm. in there. However, this is where where uh, we're about to get into next. A little bit of a bit of background on the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Uh, it was constructed under the guidance of art collector Isabella Stewart Gardner. Uh, she lived from 1840 to 1924, and is basically just to house her personal art collection. Uh, the museum opened into the public in 1903, and Gardner continued to expand the collection and arrange it until she died in 1924. So she left the museum with a $3.6 million endowment, and it stipulated that her arrangement of the artwork should not be altered, and no items were to be bought or to be sold or to be added to the collection. So everything has to stay exactly the same way it is. Um, and you know, her so like ideally, her three point six million dollar investment investment was going to grow in perpetuity and interest, and that would be enough to curate the museum as mm-hmm. time went on. And so, the punishment of making any changes uh, was that uh, upon any changes being made, the museum no longer has access to the trust, and everything should be packed up and uh, shipped to auction in France. Okay. So yeah, so but <clears throat> as time started to as times went on and money got tight. Uh, they eventually they didn't have the money to keep up the the, the proper security that the hotel needs when or I'm sorry a hotel a museum needs when holding an art collection such as this like they weren't so the climbing. endowment didn't didn't it perform as hoped so they no were it out did of not money. it that, did not okay uh, and so the financial strain left the museum in poor condition by the 1980s uh, it lacked a climate control system it didn't have an insurance policy and it was in need of basic building maintenance. Um, also, the yeah, this sounds was, like a good place to rob if you're going to yeah, rob a museum because, like, they weren't yeah. doing a very good job. Yeah, and on top of that, they hired their their security guards at minimum wage, so there's a high right. turn. And they're 23 year old stoners they're, they're who live down the street. Stoners. Yeah, 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 guys with fanny packs. All right, like, <laughs> yeah, and and also you see, if you're hiring people at minimum wage, that means your turnover is astronomical, and that means that yeah. every person you've hired, you've had to give them the rundown of how the security system works here and right. they've just been like five weeks later just like oh fuck this job and they're free to just tell anybody they want to you know? that's a really good point i like i thought about it like oh they're minimum wage they're not going to be good at their jobs or like have incentive to be good at their jobs but it's also yeah you told you've told a bunch of people you think this information and doing this job is so worthless yeah. you're just going to tell everyone because 
no one wants to stay in this job. Like, yeah, yeah, nobody if you want this to be highly classified information, you have to pay people like it's important for them to keep it a secret. Otherwise, for, they're not gonna. Sure. And I don't know if anybody out there listening happens to run the Austin, Texas donut store, Gordo's, but maybe that's why everyone knows that y'all's shit is just Grant's biscuits. Okay. Like, <laughs> like, exactly. You, you have to sign an NDA when you start working at Gordo's. And I don't know the stipulations or how long or whatever it is, but I also don't care. Uh, it's just biscuits, y'all. And that's biscuits. all it is. We've, yeah. di- we've discussed the scam on the show before. That shit oh, yeah, is Grand's yeah, yeah, yeah. Biscuits. <laughs> I, I, I will never lose an opportunity to publicly state that it's just biscuits. Right. Pay us more if you want our, your trade secrets kept. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, basically, they, then they started when they decided that it was time to start making um, security adjustments. Then following the initial, um, the will of, by, you know, by like the will, I mean the legal document and the literal will of, mm-hmm. uh, of Isabella Stewart Gardner was to make no changes. So you had historical, historical societies uh, pushing back and people who are the board of directors who get involved in this sort of thing, pushing back against certain security enrichments because they were like, well, that goes against what the initial thing was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. 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 We can't change how this stuff is displayed so we can't make it more secure. Yeah, and the, the uh, one thing among the culture of the guards that worked there, the state of the security system, it was an inside joke. They all joked about it. They laughed about it. New recruits, they would be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, basically they would give every new recruit like the, a, a quick list of what's all wrong with it. And that information right. goes out the door when they do. So Right, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and you're just like, grumbling about how people don't uh, make your job easy. And then, yeah, all of the security flaws are just common yeah. knowledge. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a problem. I, you know, I, I don't want to make any generalizations about people who live in the good city of Boston, but I'm going to say you're, you're never more than one to two degrees of separation away from an organized crime figure. <laughs> like, I don't know. That's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> no, not maybe, completely incorrect. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying it's not enough, you know, think of like over the 80s, how many uh, people quit being a guard at this place, walk into some bar, they're chit-chatting. You know what I'm saying? There's the amount of people talking, yeah. the amount of ears listening, just exponentially, you're going to, somebody's going to hear it and they're going to be like, oh, wait a tick. Um, yeah. <laughs> so moving into what was stolen. Uh, now I'm not going to get because it was 13 pieces. They're not. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, sketches. Known. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of little sketches. A lot of small uh, art pieces. But the main ones, the big boys. We have the concert by Vermeer, and that is valued at a hundred million dollars at the time of the heist. Damn. All right. Yeah. Then we have the storm on the Sea of Galilee by Rembrandt. Uh, this is Rembrandt's only seascape. And that man, like, I mean, I like art, but I'm not like out here just like looking at art. But like that painting, <laughs> that painting fucking rocks. It's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the storm of the Sea of Galilee. So it's like crisis in the boat. And it's like one side and it's like this wave and it's lifting it up. And crisis in the boat, just like keeping a cool head. Like, hey, baby, it's all good. And everybody's <laughs> just like, everybody's freaking out. And then in the middle of it, one of the guys if you but if you reference Rembrandt's self-portrait, it's Rembrandt in the boat. Nice. <laughs> and he's and he's look he's Jim Halperding looking directly at the camera, like <laughs> like why what the hell's going on? <laughs> I love I love when artists put themselves in their paintings, and I also love when it's like from the Renaissance and they had some wealthy patron and the painting was like, paint like me worshiping Jesus the best. Yeah, like, make yeah. me the best <laughs> worshiper of Jesus in this painting. And that's, like, the portrait they do. I just think yeah. that's so funny. It cracks me up. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. They do, like, just the idea of, like, art patronage, like, who the first people we, like, looked at in, like, these great masterworks. It was just these rich assholes. <laughs> just some assholes, yeah. yeah. 
So, and then also there was the uh, the Shea Tortoni by, this is again by Manet, not Monet. Uh, but these were kind of like the heavy hitters. These ones yeah. are worth are are worth the majority of the two hundred to two hundred twenty million estimated value of the hall. So the uh, the Shea Tortoni is a uh, a pretty cool one. It's just like a dude. Uh, he's like sitting there in a cafe and it's done with these really wide, wispy brush brush strokes. Mm-hmm. And when they start to like investigate organized crime figures uh, and talk to people, and they're like like some of these like mafia wives or like mafia sisters. Are like, yeah, I saw him hanging that up over his bed. Like, did you ask me any questions about it? This is on the on the Tortoni one, and she goes, "Oh yeah, I said, uh, hey, did, did, did you pose for that? Is that you?" <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're it's definitely they're just up in someone's like, someone's man cave or something. Yeah, like, that's, yeah, yeah. Some mobster's fucking pool room has a manet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just- just uh, yeah, somebody's smoking out of the, the 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 vase, and they're just like, yeah, they got like the tortoni. Oh, it's, oh, this little little adorable lady in the documentary. She's like, I always thought it was the tortellini. <laughs> <laughs> so this moves into the question that we're like, yeah, is it hanging up in some uh, some mobster's like living room or or what of it? Well, this moves into the reason of why do people, uh, you know. Why do people steal art? Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's a few reasons um, that people steal art. But you think about, okay, well, it's to sell it, right? They, they steal it and they sell it. Not actually. That's that's, that's less common. Uh, it's also that, difficult to do because it's, if everybody it's, it's knows less common it's for stolen. A lot of reasons. Yeah, one yeah. of which being it's difficult to do that. It's difficult to sell a hot piece unless you have a buyer who says, I really want the Storm of the Sea of Galilee. Here's the money if you go and get it. Well, it's going to be less than the painting's worth. That's a given, right? They're buying on the black market. Yeah. Also, it's going to be more... It'll probably be a competitive price of what the thief gets paid to what the art, the reward will be for it. Yeah. So, at this point, when you have a, a thief who's already gotten paid once, what's the stop from getting paid twice, you know? And just be right. like, oh yeah, this is the guy I sold it to. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's another common thing that happens. Now, however... Is you say like, uh, well, you know, like if they're, why would they be so ready to fess up about stealing a piece of art? Is because usually when a piece of art is stolen, depending on how valuable it is, it's there's almost always amnesty granted to just return it. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, oh, this is so important to like world culture. Yeah, exactly. We just need it back. We just need it back. Questions asked. Yeah, and even though these statues, well, I'll get, I'll get into that. That's more of an ending thing, but, uh, but also, so then. The extrapolation of this logic would be that if you're in trouble for another crime and you can mm-hmm. tell somebody where Rembrandt's at, now you got a big bargaining chip. That seems and, to be like very common from what I yeah, know. They, like they, that's they, like a really easy and it's they, also like uh, it's a good bargaining chip because it doesn't involve any like violence or yeah. like it's not a body buried. Like it's just I know where this painting is. I know where this painting is. I don't painting's have to at. tell yeah, you it, where. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and it was, and so that is the that is the common uh, motivation for a lot of art theft. Also, art theft is one of the most unsolved thefts. Uh, something close to like uh, above ninety percent going. You unsolved. are really selling me on art theft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this you are making me, a strong case. Yeah, yeah. This is told to me by uh, by the good the good friend uh, the young boy Jake Rowe, and Jake Rowe has all these weird facts about these strange careers he might embark on one day and it's like uh, he talks about yeah how much unclaimed treasure there is in texas or like how art thieves only get caught like four percent of the time (laughs) (laughs) yeah so also jake rowe has a show at spider house ballroom called handy and he said i have to mention it or he'll play saxophone outside of the room while we record so okay yeah check it out everyone go check it out guys jeez i feel dirty now but anyways (laughs) 
But so yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the reason why people did this, and this kind of helps to explain why, you know, why this may, who may have been behind this. So we're gonna go through a list of suspects. First off, obviously the security guard Rick Abbott. Rick Abbott was investigated early on because of his suspicious behavior in the night of the theft. Uh, he did briefly open and shut the door, a move which some could believe um, could have been uh, a signal to the thieves parked outside. Abbott said that he did it to ensure the door was locked. Like I said, I think your boy was getting high. That's just yeah. me. Yeah. Um, also, how else would they have known to, to tear the, uh, you know, the the the, the, the thing out of the tent, uh, the printer? Also, the. Uh, the Shea Tortoni was was stolen out of a room that did it that only had one um, motion detector go off that night, and it was before the uh, robbers showed up. Hmm. It was a, so they were like, so if nobody went in there, how was the Shea Tortoni stolen? You know, right? Like, yeah. Does that mean he, whoever went in before pulled it off the wall for him in yeah, advance? Or yeah, like, or like he just knew that it, there was going to be a theft that night, and so he went and stole. You know, it was like, oh, I know right. these guys are going to steal it anyways. I'll take this. You know. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, one of the ideas, but uh, pretty much after they after they looked into Rick Abbott and they they kind of um, you know dug into every kind of aspect of his life that they could, they determined that he did not have the wherewithal to pull off this crime. <laughs> Which, God, can you imagine what a pain in the ass that would be if the job you're working at for minimum wage, like something like this happens and your entire life gets turned fucking upside yeah. down by the cops because they think you did it and you're just like i was working here it was the 90s like i was working here for five dollars an hour like, yeah, yeah how dare yeah, you dude, ruin my whole life for this like, yeah man, and that, it, it definitely it definitely sounds like it didn't do the guy any favors i'll, I'll tell you that like uh uh his band suffered because you know, <laughs> he, he, ended up, he ended up quitting he said he quit uh he was already thinking about quitting because it was interfering with the band so, uh, <laughs> well, now, when, yeah, his whole fucking life is interfering with the band. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Man, at what point you got to be honest with yourself, man, and think this is an interfering with the band. The band is interfering with this. <laughs> 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 so, now, at one point, there was uh, some video came out uh, later on that was um, that showed him letting in a unidentified man into the museum after hours the night before and they they were like oh this is the lead this is him like conspiring with somebody and they went back and looked at it and it was actually just the head of security and so oh, fair enough <laughs> yeah 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 so that was in 2015 that he kind of like popped back up on the radar and it was taken off um whitey bulger famous boston mobster whitey bulger mm -hmm. um he uh he he was suspected he claimed that he did not organize the heist and in fact he sent agents out and attempted to determine who did because the robbery was committed on his turf and he wanted to get paid <laughs> right yeah he's got to find out so he can get his yeah. piece now another guy that was uh that, that comes up in the documentary and i almost did just an episode about this guy and we very well made the future uh, a guy named miles connor jr miles connor jr miles connor jr might be the coolest dude of all time he was <laughs> A popular New England musician in the 1960s, and he looked the part, man. Leather jacket, no shirt underneath, fucking fucked up hair, like just hell yeah, James Dean shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Short guy, just like, just like, but like, you know, like have that little short guy swag to him. Absolutely. And, yeah, uh, and he pulled off daring art. On top of being a rock and roll guy, he was also a daring art thief. Pulled off tons of art heights all up and down in these small, like, local museums that inhabit various corners of New England. 
Uh, yeah, would, that have no security, I bet. Yeah, he would pull off stuff there, get, like just wild-ass heists. And he was actually able to get himself out of a jam later in his career by saying, oh, well, I know where a painting's stashed. And it got him yeah. yeah, it got him off. So that sets the precedent that the underworld was, like, paying attention. Now, mm-hmm. they also think that, we, but the reason it couldn't have been him is he was in prison at the time that the, the place was robbed. Yeah. But he has such strong connections to every other major suspect that he, he, he at least knew about this or help plan it like right that. yeah it's like if whoever's doing this like probably asked him for some tips at least yeah. like he probably has an idea <laughs> yeah and of those guys there was a guy's named uh robert garinti now robert garinti was a uh, gangster from manchester connecticut and he had a partner named robert gentile now garinti died from cancer in 2004 but his widow elaine told the fbi in 2010 that her husband had previously owned some of the paintings she claimed that when her husband got sick with cancer in the early 2000s, he gave all the paintings to Gentile for, self, for safekeeping. Now, Gentile denied the accusations, claiming that it was never given them and that he knew nothing of their whereabouts. So, in 2012, Gentile got indicted on a drug charge. And likely, this drug charge was literally in an attempt to pressure him for information. Basically, they right. put an informant. Give us the paintings and we'll drop the charges, yeah. like we said. They, yeah. put, they put an informant in his crew. And this guy was trying to nab him on anything they could, and he couldn't get it on it. One day, the guy just had a bottle of Oxycontin sitting on his fucking table. He goes, hey, how much for that? He goes, 300 bucks. <laughs> like that. And like, it's like, all boom. over, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So clean until then, yep. Yeah, yeah, dude, just just fucked him, man. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so he, uh, so he basically um, was brought in on this thing, and he, he claimed that he didn't know anything about, uh, about the, the artwork. He did, however, fail a polygraph test, um, but when he said, because uh, oh yeah, because he said during the retest, he said that he had once shown that his wife had once shown him a self portrait, and uh, he was showed to have been being truthful that he did show or his wife was telling the truth about that. So I don't, I don't wait. What I don't understand. Uh, during the retest, he said oh, so. Gentile, oh yeah, so I'm sorry, uh, he. Submitted a polygraph test, which indicated he was lying when he denied any knowledge of the theft or location of the artwork. Later, he demanded a retest, and basically, he was truthful in saying that his wife, his wife did see the artwork. Essentially, I, I think is saying that like, his, like your wife is saying that you that she saw the artwork. He's like, yeah, well, she did see the artwork, and that tested truthful. But when he had said that he had nothing to do with the theft, he tested negative. But he was trying to say that the reason he may have tested positive because his wife had seen the artwork and they had talked about it. Uh, okay. I'm still confused, but all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, I, I, I think that's what I'm getting from it, but okay. So, um, now a few days later, uh, the FBI stormed Gentile's house in Manchester, Connecticut with a search warrant. The FBI found a secret ditch beneath a false floor in the backyard shed, but it was empty. It just had a little bit of weed and a gun. So, okay. uh, yeah, that, I, I would say that's absolutely not empty. That's like yeah, 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 yeah. that's like very incriminating stuff. I would yeah, say. Yeah, it still wasn't good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so later his son said that at one point his dad uh, there was a flood in their backyard. His dad was like insanely worried about the contents of this mm. of this uh, little little hole. Oh in the no, ground. my gun and a little bit of weed. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. no, <laughs> yeah, suspicious for sure. Yeah. So another uh, another tie into this. Uh, into the, the organized crime families surrounding uh, Boston in, the, in that day was a guy named Bobby Donati. Now, Bobby Donati was murdered in 1991 in the midst of a gang war within the patriarchal crime family. This, this gang war was happening when there was a lot of indictments being handed down uh, and a lot of mafia, uh, a lot, especially the Italian mob specifically, mm-hmm. uh, was being broken up. 
in yeah. uh, in Boston. And because of that, they're thinking that that may have been the fact that everybody knew these indictments were coming down was why they ordered this heist so they could have like thirteen mm. get out of jail free cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. Like we said, that it, that it's a bargaining chip, and yeah. that would also again speak to uh, just steal whatever you feel like. like yeah, just, yeah, exactly. We'll yeah. just take it. We just it's like more about qual quantity than quality. Even. Yeah, of, uh, yeah, of, of definitely. So. Now, in this, uh, in this Donati character, Donati was like a um, uh, a son figure kind of to Bobby Garinte, the the, mm -hmm. the mobster who had had possession of the art at one point. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Connor, uh, like, <clears throat> and also he was friends with Miles Connor, the coolest dude on earth, the art thief, right. rock and roll musician. So, so he believed. Now the. Uh, now, yeah, Connor was in jail at the time of the heist, but he had basically believed that Donati and a criminal named David Houghton were the masterminds. Connor had worked with Donati in the past art heists and claimed that the two cased the Garner Museum back in the 80s, and that was when Donati took a personal interest in the finial, the little metal eagle that went on top of the flag. Ah, okay, he's he liked like that a, hey, little I, eagle guy. Yeah, I like that thing. If we ever rob this place, that thing's coming with me. So The telltale eagle yeah. finial. Also, you know what's crazy about them never changing the layout of this museum mm -hmm. per old girl's wishes? That means you could case the joint in 1981 and it was yeah. still relevant. That's a really good point. That, yeah. that, like, <laughs> that itself is like a pretty serious security flaw. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you you, you just go look once and you know it's going to be back there in the same place. Mm -hmm. So um, Connor also claimed that Houghton, the partner to Donati in the supposed theft, visited him in jail after the heist and said that he and Donati had organized it and were going to use the paintings to get Connor out of jail. So if this is true, they likely borrowed the idea from Connor as he returned as he had returned art to reduce his sentences in the past. So even though Donati and Houghton's appearances did not fit the witness descriptions, Connor suggested they probably hired low-level gangsters to carry out the robbery. Right. So uh, at this point, now Connor starts telling investigators that he could assist in returning the Gardner works in exchange for the museum's posted reward and his freedoms. So when investigators did not give in to Connor's demands because of lack of evidence, he suggests they speak to a criminal and antiques dealer named William Youngworth. So basically, if nobody believes that you have the paintings, they, they're not going to cut you a deal, even if you have the paintings, if nobody believes you. Mm. So he told them to go talk to William P. Youngworth. So acting on Connor's lead, the FBI opened a case on Youngworth and conducted raids on his home and antique store properties in the 1990s. The raids caught the attention of a journalist named Tom Mashberg, who began talking with Youngworth, Youngworth in 1997 about the theft. One night in August 1997, Youngworth called Mashberg and told him that he had proof that he could return the Gardner paintings under the right conditions. So that night, Youngworth picked up Mashberg from the Boston Herald offices and drove him to a warehouse in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Youngworth led him inside a large storage unit with several large cylinder tubes. He removed one painting from its tube, unfolded it, and showed it to Mashberg under flashlight. Mashberg said it appeared to be the storm on the Sea of Galilee. He noticed cracking along the canvas and the edges were cut in a manner consistent with the museum's report. Oh, as man. well as They yeah, fucked up the cool painting. They fucked, yeah, they fucked it up. As well as Rembrandt's signature on the ship's rudder. Mashberg wrote about his experience in the Boston Herald, leaving out details to hide Youngworth's identity and his painting's location. He so he's just like, here's a sweet crime I committed. Yeah, Not yeah, giving yeah. you details, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... 
It, the, he, he reported that his informant told him that the robber was pulled off by five men and identified two. Donati was one of the robbers and Houghton was one of the ones responsible for moving the art to the safe house. The FBI discovered the location of the warehouse several months later and raided it, finding nothing. Because that was part of the stipulation. He was like, just show me something. And you can show me right. whatever and move it the next day. You know, I just want to see. Right, So right. at this point, Mashberg was asked to sit down with the museum curators to describe what he had saw to see if it was it. And they were like, yeah, that sounds like it could definitely be the storm on the Sea of Galilee, especially because unprompted, he described the cracking in a manner that they were like, yeah, that's that's what it would look like. That makes sense. Right. So, Somebody who doesn't know about art, no, like who doesn't yeah. know how they rolled up the paintings or whatever was like, yeah, this is yeah. This makes sense. Yeah. So he was finally they were like, yeah, we like this. We want we want to move forward with this. Uh, they were like, but we, we need to know that this is, is the thing. Could he return some paint flakes or some paint chips? Mm-hmm. So Mashburn gets back in touch with his with his source, and they send him the paint chips. And this is like the weird part. I don't know. Like it's kind of infuriating actually. They get the paint chips, and the museum is like, yeah, yeah, those are the types of oils that Rembrandt used, and those are definitely from his time period. So they're more mm-hmm. than likely from a Rembrandt, but they're not the right colors. Weird. Okay. Yeah, and like I don't know. Like again, why I think that I'm not. I, I I know next to nothing about art history. Um, my my first girlfriend got her art history degree, so I assume she's working at a factory somewhere. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, like working as a foreman in an art history wing. But uh, <laughs> I, I know that like. Like paintings get routinely painted over. Like even one of the paintings in this collection, it's a man That's and a woman. True. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a man and a woman sitting there, and there's a space between them. And for years, people were just like, "Oh, it's a weird way to pose this painting." And they X-rayed it and found out that there was a uh, a child between them that was painted out, presumably upon some tragedy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, like that happened. So like, how do they know this wasn't from like a sub layer of the painting? But again, they w- I guess they would know that. That's a good no. That's a really good point though. Like, if if it's contemporary paint and it's not the right color, it's like, well, all these paintings have been in the possession of the Isabella Stewart Gardner collection, and it didn't have any money. So the the likelihood that they these paint these canvases have been X rayed and people have identified what's underneath them is probably pretty slim. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, like, I I don't know. I I think that was a little weird. I was like, okay, that's there's. But it's like if I brought this up, surely someone else has brought this up <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah that, yeah but uh so yeah that's kind of where it, it it fizzles there's certainly like there's a lot more you can get into about the further workings of the uh, of the um boston mob uh, mm-hmm. in the 1980s and 90s but uh that's kind of where it, it ends with like like as far as because none of them still have not been found the, yeah so when was this when were these paint chips sent like how the paint chips were this? sent in 1997 or 1998 around there okay, around 98 so so there hasn't really been any development since that 2015 stuff where they thought it was the security guard, but it's not. Like, they haven't had any new breaks uh, in the case. No, no. I mean, even in 2014, a, um, uh, a reporter tried to chase down the boss of Donati, like Donati's boss during the gang right. war, and ask him about a few things. And the guy, like, gave some, like, ah, oh, yeah, I think I know this, I think I know that, blah, 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 blah. But even then, nothing came nothing came of it so you know what i think happened here i think what happened is they stole them because it does i mean it sounds like donati was involved it sounds like it was probably a italian organized crime thing and they probably did take them to have some sort of collateral but then the mafia became so weak that like they never like they never like escalated to the type of crimes where they had to use this stuff because there's like five mafia guys left and they just run like shitty like 
the smallest little yeah. rinky dink like gambling ring. They don't yeah, like yeah, yeah, they don't yeah. like run drugs and kill people anymore. Yeah, it's to the point where like yeah, if you're keeping it in some guy's house, like I, I'm sure whoever was holding on to these, there was like a a thing of like, hey, you hold on to these when we need them, we'll take care of you. You know, saying like like you'll get something out of this. That guy's for sure like dead or in jail, probably. Yeah, yeah, he's either dead or in jail, or he's like, I know for a fact you guys are fucking broke. You can't, you can't. Make me stick my risk my neck by being like, okay, I was holding on to the paintings the whole time. I'd rather not right. deal with that. You guys can't reimburse me in the fucking first place, you know? Right, right. Yeah, they just they, they became they, they they no longer had the pull to use their get out of jail free card. Exactly. Yeah, they can't enforce the sort of security of this stuff anymore because yeah. they're just too weak. Yeah. So and thus because of it, uh, the rest of society doesn't get to know where these paintings are. Yeah. They still exist. <laughs> yeah, man. That's uh, and that's. That is that. That's wild. It's just weird to think that like, and everybody that was involved in it was like, yeah, we all thought this would be done in a year. We thought we'd have them back, and like, like right, no, yeah, because most of the time that is what happens. So yeah, they just get returned. Yeah, like, it, you know, it like, sounds like it didn't go like the heist part went great, but it sounds like the sort of post heist plans probably fell apart along the way because I bet yeah. they also thought that they would be giving them back. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure they, they, they didn't have any want for them. It is wild they cut them out of there. That's insane to think about. Yeah, that like uh, my mom. My mom is an art historian, and uh, I I feel like just growing up around like in museums and stuff, the idea of somebody cutting some a painting out of its canvas with like a switchblade is like the worst thing. Like that's like a horror yeah. movie to my mom. She would like die. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not even like <laughs> I don't even have like a particular like you know passion or affinity for for art like that and even when i've read that i was like oh god <laughs> like why would they do that like yeah pretty pretty rough but pretty yeah. cool that it's they still haven't been found yeah Maybe that's, one day. that's always that's always fun you know that, hopefully it'll cool. show up in some old mobsters memoir in a couple years you know like once once they're dead or whatever hopefully that's what I, that's what i'm thinking uh also i love these like the these like netflix like crime documentaries because some of them um I got fooled by one where, like, the idea it was the, the Son of Sam one that the guy's kind of full of shit who said his dad was Son of Sam. And mm-hmm. I, like, I watched the first episode and I almost, like, posted. I was like, oh my God, they found out who Son of Sam is. And then, like, as the episodes went on, I was like, oh, that guy's full of shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, these are... things are fun to watch because basically what it came down to is, like, as time goes on, like, secrets are dying with people that pass off on like these big mysteries of the 20th century. But like also people are way more likely to just confess things on their deathbed. And so I hope we do get the, I hope we do get the, the, the information just to know. It just seems very interesting. I, right. I don't know where they at. Well, but, didn't uh, you, weren't you going to say something about the statute of limitations earlier? Is oh there like- yes, yes, yes. So 31 years later, uh, none of the paintings have been recovered. It's been 31 years. The reward is now 10 million. Now the statute of limitations was only five. For stealing the shit it was only five years. Now right. I don't know where that stands on the assault. If they would be like, if they could get them for assaulting the the, right. the security guards, but it seems like that the or not seems like the entire when they grant them amnesty, I believe that is amnesty to all like the the acts like you know they're not like well amnesty for stealing them, amnesty for you know uh, physically intimidating the guards with a weapon, amnesty for false imprisonment when you tied them up. I assume they're giving them the whole suite, or else why would it be worth it? You know, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to get the. But yeah, yeah. But either way, the the, the statute of limitations are gone off these things. Like these, yeah. it's it, there's literally nothing to be nothing to lose by coming forward. So, so I guess what we're it, saying is this there. is absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. Yeah. Well, it'd be worth it though. And what's like. It was like, yeah, they didn't get in trouble, but at the same time, like, I don't think that they... They didn't gain anything from it. They didn't gain anything from it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thrill of heisting a painting. 
Yeah, that's a very true. That, that is a, that's some bucket list type shit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So, uh, but no, that's that's pretty cool. I we, we rarely get to do a, an unknown one on here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. It Check out like, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum and ask them where this painting was, and probably someone will get mad at you. Yeah, get, like, get Hey, can I see that men, eh? And they're yeah, like, yeah, fuck yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, you know what would really make my day if I could see, like, nah, like a little eagle, like a little gold eagle? <laughs> I just want to check out a little eagle. You got yeah, yeah, you guys got anything like that? Yeah, you just get just punched. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've upped the pay of the guards. They'll fuck you up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, now they're like special forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the Israeli Mossad and shit. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, guys. Well, yo, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, this is uh, uh, what we do uh, two two times a month. We have three episodes. We have two on our Patreon. If you want to check that out, it's uh, patreon.com slash lie, cheat, and steal. And, yeah, we just, uh, every week, a uh, new story about a liar, a fraud, a thief, or a bullshitter. And uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter at, at PZTX, and the podcast is at LCS Podcast. Uh, if you're in the Austin area, I'll be at the Creek in the Cave next month, I believe, on the 7th for Say It Ain't Show with Chris Tellez. Really fun one. Um, other than that, uh, Kathy, you got anything coming up? Um, I have some stand-up coming up. I'm not sure when exactly this will be out, but uh, check my Twitter, Kath Barbadoro, K-A-T-H-B-A-R-B-A-D-O-R-O for dates. Um, I also have another podcast called What a Time to Be Alive that comes out every week that's about dumb news stories. So if you'd like to hear me talk even more, check that out. Uh, we have a Patreon for that as well. And uh, yeah, that's all I have to plug. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe out there. And above all, don't get caught. Don't get caught. See you next time. Bye.